I'm Nadia Cheney. I am so excited to welcome you to the Adaptogen podcast, where we learn the journeys, the obstacles, the obsessions, and the professional tips from facilitators all over the world. Start with one simple thing. Just the, the human in the middle. I just start drawing one figure and say, hmm. is, who is this? Is this the, the, the problem? Is this the client? Is this, the, is this you? And it depends on the perspective of the client, how they kind of let on. And that's what hap- always happens. Hmm. I saw them not seeing it. Hmm. So then on the spot, I made a drawing. I said, why don't you do this? And I still remember the, ma- the manager looking at me. Huh? I saw her jaw drop. Because to me it was obvious, but they didn't oh. see it. Uh-huh. So that's so she was so happy me with me after the assignment that she made a personal recommendation to uh, that her ten best relations, and she made her boss do the same. I'm, I'm like Harry van der Velde. I live in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, together with my love Demi from uh, Vancouver, Canada, and uh, I'm. I'm independent, so uh, I still work as a graphic facilitator whenever useful, but I am mostly engaged in the new challenge I gave myself that's making my, changing my neighborhood into a community. I mean, it feels like you kind of invented this work uh, in your, in your, in your own journey. So I'm just so curious about how it all happened. Well, it happened quite naturally because I am by nature a visual thinker, which also wasn't a term back in the day. But it was later in Dutch, it's Beeldenk, which means the same. And that was basically a a learning deficiency. When you have trouble learning because you do everything by images and you don't follow procedures and you don't, you don't, yeah, that, that was kind of, yeah, regarded to be a problem. But I've been always, I always, as soon as I had to go to school, I basically started fleeing to my imagination to escape boredom and all that. And then I want, I liked comics, which were uh, basically a kind of a forbidden thing when I was young. When I was young, because it's it's not serious, it's not literature, it's not education and all that. But I loved it. And I had the desire to become a, an animator making animated movies like uh, cartoons and all that that turned out to be boring hmm. so uh when i was in art school i have learned it but uh you have to make 24 drawings for one second of movement <laughs> right right who, who the same to... drawing over and over again yeah well just the very very Total different small steps so that was boring <laughs> Yeah. So I was not as ex- exciting as I expected. So uh, so I left the art school as a graphic facilitator and illustrator and worked uh, in that field. But also, uh, il- particularly book illustration is also boring because somebody gives you his manuscript and you're basically a copy machine translating uh, text to images. And that's what you do. I'm so happy they invented AI to do that these days. Everyone is complaining about AI taking over the art world. I think, mm-hmm. hey, 
you you guys do the dub. We can use our creativity for more relevant stuff. Oh, that's so, interesting. So you're like anything that a machine can do, let it do it, and that'll push us. Yes. yes. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. Well, maybe I'm just lazy. Or easily bored. It sounds like you are. Yeah. There's something that you're looking for, a feeling. Yeah, well, the question that leads me is, what is this? Where are we? What's this about? What's happening here? That's kind of, I still don't understand. I, I developed a lot of insights and theories, but I still don't know. But my mind is visual, going back to your question. And I was basically left art school very young. I was not motivated to find work, so I hardly had any work. I got myself... Uh, yeah, some bullshit jobs like working in a factory until my brother, my older brother, who worked at the Fokker airplane factory, got me a job in the airplane factory uh, making what you call this exploded fuse and explain, explaining how you make stuff. Hmm. So they were they were at the forefront of uh, advanced composites, as they called it back in the day. So uh, <clears throat> they were inventing how to make planes out of plastic which was and new. they took you they took you out of art school no no i was already out of art school you were in the factory my... work um but did you yes. even re-educate was... to go into the chemical field it was not the chemical no i they they did the the, the research and design about uh, reinforced plastics uh, like uh, fiberglass reinforced stuff kevlar and all of those things and carbon, and now they make planes out of it, but then all they dare to make out of plastic in that, and that was like 1980, or the, 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 the luggage pins, because huh. that was safe. But they safe enough it and to test it. Safe enough, yes. And the windows, they were plexiglass as well. But that, that was about it. And I had to basically make drawings about how they are making those complex shapes they make these days. Oh, and interesting. that was interesting, but also uh, it was still computer. I, there I met my first computer, an Apple II, I remember, 1980. So I got in touch as early with programming and all that. But what I was also doing is I saw how the factory operated, but I also saw how the management operated. Huh. And I kind of started making a cartoon for myself that you could see that... Uh, there was a blind man behind the wheel and the horse was behind the carriage being an old car that lost his way on the road and a lot of all those cliches together in one drawing <laughs> and uh, that kind of i made that for myself in, uh, but it got stolen from my desk and it kind of uh, found its way through all the copying machines through through the 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 factory your then, visual critique of the management structure. Yes. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and then, my, of course, my boss did not like that. No. And he, Harry, maybe you should not do that, but he also saw my quality. He said, if you can do that, I'd rather have you use those talents to visualize my problem that I have with my boss because he had this R&D uh, department that had uh, four different functions. It had to survey what was happening on the on the work floor and then they had to kind of think about uh, 
and they had to also assist with uh, when people came with, uh, with complaints and problems. And then they had also tried to invent better stuff and engineer that. So I visualized those functions and I also made visible there were so many people coming from the work floor with their complaints that all the capacity was drawn to that part of the uh, department and they did not get any time and space and money uh, to invent the things they needed to invent. And, that was, and the thing is with a drawing, once it's drawn, you see it, it's instant. Ah, of course, I get it. You don't need to explain, you don't need to defend, you don't need to listen to critique, just three seconds and you see it. And that was basically looking back my first uh, work as a graphic facilitator or visual thinker or whatever the word is. It didn't have any words and I was not very aware of that, how special that was all, that it could be a thing, but only looking back, I see this is where it started. And uh, wow. I've been, yes. And so how did I they mean, react? I mean, they've not seen anyone work in this way. So what were some of the reactions? Well, they were, they themselves are engineers. They, so they, they already first whiteboard and they make sketches themselves all the time, but way more uh, with, with boxes and arrows and you see those flow charts and stuff right mm -hmm. so they think that way mm. and for me that was great uh, reinforcement of my thinking because in art school there's no systemic thinking there's just do you feel it do representing you see it? and it, yes. it's all about like uh so so basically by doing art school and then Fokker I learned to and with the and being engaged with the engineers I kind of felt both sides of my brain come alive and kind of start. Mm. Ah, this is what this is what it looks like. This looks good, it feels good, but this is what works. And mm. in that stage, I also learned the three basics I still use today and three measures. It's, it's logical, it makes sense here in the brain, so the reasoning part, and it feels good. I like it, it attracts me, it resonates, the emotional part, and it works in reality, mm. the causal part. And if something makes sense, it should make sense on all three levels. And in my uh, approach of life, I always told myself, okay, if there are two, at least two of those three, let's say levels or frequencies are, uh, do, are okay, are correct, then I should take it seriously. So I'm diverging now, but it's, it's one of the main lessons I still use. That's very interesting. If two are working, then you're, you're, you're willing to work on the third. Well, then I should accept it's probably true. Huh. So sometimes something works and I understand, but I don't like you it. You don't feel it. Huh. Yes, but also what's way more interesting when something works and I like it, but my but mind- can't understand it yet. No, like uh, a very, interesting example is shihatsu hmm. i don't know how that works but <laughs> it, uh, it, it feels great when they do it on you and it might my, my body totally responds and but i don't still have a mental model of what that does and how it works and how it operates so hmm. that exactly, that's what yeah. I, and those things i learned looking back i learned a ton there because i had a, a genius manager who had stuff greatly organized. Looking back, he was just, he was super smart. 
Because hmm. well, what other manager would say, okay, I, you, I see a quality in you and I can use it. Exactly. Yes. So that was great. So that's looking back, that was the start of my career as a, let's say, graphic facilitator. And then I was in 1980. <clears throat> and then uh, Fokker was an airplane industry, like it was the national air pride. So it got a lot of subsidies and to keep it alive. And I saw all the managers and the higher echelons being important and but basically spending a lot of money and not supporting the workflow. And then the subsidies got cut. So I was mm. let go after a year. And then 1985, they asked me back and they uh, the same man and he gave me uh, an assignment to basically visualize the way they work. Like, like make a visual manual of how they work and how their work should be organized. And that was super interesting, but also then that was kind of almost the end of Fokker because they kind of died in the way mm. they were maintained by the state. And well, that's a, that's a tragedy in itself, but I did not really, I didn't stay there and I worked as a graphic designer. Oh yeah, then the 1985 was the first computer, the first Macintosh I bought. And then the forefront was uh, what they called back in the day, desktop publishing, you could do graphic design. On. So, and I bought the first laser printer for, if I remember probably 7,000 guilders which is like uh, ten thousand uh, dollars i guess <laughs> wow <laughs> New it was worth a while back in the day right because then you were yeah. kind of standing out in the market you could make stuff you don't didn't need to go to the printer anymore right. so that was interesting but then i worked and then i uh, got into my relationship with my ex-wife and we had children and then she basically was she wanted job certainty, so I like uh, job security. So I had got myself a, reg a regular job in first at the print shop and later in advertising agency. And I stayed there for nine years looking back. And I left wow. as a burnout. So yeah. I didn't do anything in that field anymore. But after the burnout, I expected burnout was also a. Uh, in that sense, I'm also a pioneer. That label didn't exist yet. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and uh, looking back, it was a total burnout. Yeah. And uh, Because you yeah. were doing something that was such a compromise. You Well, and you, if you work in advertising, you basically uh, put the best of your creativity in some kind of folder that you immediately throw out, right? Oh, uh, hmm what are you working for it's just about nothing so uh, that totally depleted me and then so i was basically exhausted and burnt out and uh also because my marriage kind of was failing that was a lot we, we lost touch as well since uh, my daughter was born so i was kind of down and out and then i remember uh slowly recovering i had a walk together with my youngest sister and her husband then husband and he was he did something as a social trainer so he gave me an advice mm. he said harry you're super creative and don't do that 
don't use your creativity where everybody uses it like an advertising. You're competing all in the same area. They, you, they, you need your creativity in the business world. So why don't you go out there and I'll get you hooked up with some people. So he, so through some networking, I got my first assignment with the then uh, the the package delivery of the postal Dutch postal services. How you call it? Like it's a big thing today, but then it was just like a kind of suffering. And mm. then the new thing was call centers. That was totally new as well in back in the day. And mm. I had to assist the manager in solutions for the call center. And of course. I've always been super naive and green and not understanding what it's about. So I came in, but I'm super curious and I'm not stupid. So mm -hmm. I started kind of bringing my advice, but on my first assignment, that didn't go well. <laughs> and then I remember she was not so stoked about how, what I did and how I did it. And then I panicked and I called uh, Paul again, uh, my, my brother, my he called it brother-in-law, I think. Mm -hmm. And I said, "What do I do?" And said, "Well, if you have a, you have to work on the relationship. So you ask for dinner. So you go out eating together, and then you can discuss it." Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I then I prepared, <laughs> and then what I did, I basically make a, made the drawing of how I understood stood the situation to be. And a second drawing of what I understand what it should be, to my mm. understanding. And I made those two, like a big a two drawings, and I took them in my bag, and then we had eating, we had the conversation. And then I basically said, okay, this is how I see it. And she uh, looked at it for three seconds, seconds, literally three seconds, as she said. Everything has to change. She huh. saw it. Wow. She, yes. And so you, you're starting to see the power of what's, what you have in your hands here. Well, that was my first client where it, it kind of emerged and uh, she was so, and then I later also they had to kind of make the design of the call center itself. And she had a difficult conversation with the, the builder. And I was present as well. I saw them. And that's what hap always happens. Hmm. I saw them not seeing it. Hmm. So then on the spot, I made a drawing. I said, why don't you do this? And I still remember the, ma the manager looking at me. Huh? I saw her jaw drop. Because to me, it was obvious. But they didn't oh. see it. Uh -huh. so, that's, so she was so happy me, with me after the assignment that she made a personal recommendation to her 10 best relations. And she made her boss do the same. Brilliant. So it's not just your drawing it, it's or the representation, it's also the analysis that you're bringing to the table. So you, uh, uh, you see it yes. and then you show it. Yes, exactly. And of course, now looking back, it all starts to make more sense. But when you're like young, I was in somewhere in my 30s. It's the way I operate. For, no, for me, it's nothing special. The only thing that always surprised me, still surprised me, that others don't see it. Yeah. 
right? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So it's, that's hard to explain, but when I draw it out, yeah, and that's basically also how I explain, I try to understand it when I can draw it and I show it, everybody sees it. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of graphic facilitation anyways. But the secret is quite simple. If it's nonsense, I cannot draw it, or I, I cannot the most make an abstract representation. And well, this is the world itself as the way it operates. It's rather simple, it's rather causal, everything is cause and effect. So if you follow the lines, you can see how it comes together. And it's not just, of course, not like a mechanical thing. One thing that there are a lot of influence everywhere and they combine and they show up as the present or as the problematic past or the desired future. So, and it's rather simple. I always just start with one simple thing. That's the, the human in the middle. I just start drawing one figure and said, hmm. is, who is this? Is this the, the, the problem? Is this the client? Is this, the, is this you? And it depends on the perspective of the client, how they kind of let's on. Oh, that's brilliant. Even now, that's, this is your basic way that you're working. Yes. And so this is kind of where it started, looking back. And it very gradually developed because you have one client. And then one, a year later, you have two. And two years later, you have four. And it keeps doubling. And now I kind of this, have all the work this, you need. Yes. And last, looking, yeah. so this was in 1990, so beginning of the 1990s that it started. So that's already 32 years ago. And were people I asking you to teach them? Because there, it wasn't commonly done so were you getting no. all the requests to learn it some people yes i have had those requests but i've never done it because i'm not good at leading people and i'm very bad at telling people what to do and <laughs> <laughs> i can see that that skill set those aren't the same because you would need to explain it by drawing <laughs> oh as well yes so i still uh, do it the same thing and i've seen other people become millionaires by making a business out of it and getting people to work for them but again that doesn't fit who i am mm. so i basically i know when things started i had a lot of work and i started giving people some parts and it never came back the way i wanted it you always had to redo it anyway yeah and i thought okay then i i, I was very aware of the choice either i become a businessman and a manager and all of that or i keep doing what i'm doing and the, the nice thing about my job i go everywhere and people tell me their problems i yeah i say i enter through the kitchen right i'm not in on the shiny uh, the front office now i come through the entrance back entrance and I see all the problems mm -hmm. and I've been everywhere. Mm. We working for government and for multinationals and very small companies and NGOs and people working for themselves. And it's the trick is always the same. What mm. does it look like? What does it or, look like? Yeah, that's the one question I'm asking. What does it look like? And then you put and you put there's something in the middle there's some it's either the problem or the self or something is in the center of yeah, this yes issue I, looking back i'm i'm very clear about what the how i kind of do it can i maybe i'll try and start a, a 
not prepared to do this. It's rather simple. So it's all about people. So I basically start with a very simple notion of a person. And I don't really care who it is. See, this is the person. And the question is, who is this? Huh. And let's say this is a problem owner. Then the problem owner is in something we call the situation. So hmm. the situation has a natural boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. See, you. So if this is the situation, then the question is, okay, what's part of the situation? So then you get to ask the people, uh, are there other people here that are part of your problem? And uh, what's the context around it? And what are the relationships? And are there uh, other stuff involved? So this is basically constellation. Hmm. And then people start to describe it because they know what is part of that problem. And if they don't know, they have to describe it. So basically, it is this simple. Does that make sense? Yes, brilliant. Very simple. Yes. So uh, when I, I remember doing this for the Dutch government after 9-11. They needed a policy around terrorism because it didn't mm. exist terrorism terrorism was terrorism was kind of a super abstract word so the policymakers did not know how to start and they hired me and this is how i started i said okay we're talking we're talking about terrorists uh, terrorism say here is your terrorist hmm. now what i said oh he wants to threaten us and he's living outside of the netherlands he said okay let's draw the netherlands next to it because he's outside so I, I did a kind of a quick map of the Netherlands. That's a bit like this. And I uh, added uh, the ivory tower in the egg where all those officials are sitting. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, here he is. So what does he want? They said, well, he wants to throw, uh, has weapons and bombs and stuff like that, right? So he has a bomb and he wants to basically destroy stuff here. So then if the, the border guards and what does he want to destroy? Well, he wants to attack the infrastructure. So I added trains and etc., etc., etc. In this kind of the way, then I made a complete map. And the interesting thing was that the people were so drawn to the to the visual that they forgot about their uh, titles and stuff like that. They all came to the whiteboard, and we had a very peer-to-peer -peer discussion. Uh, about what we uh, could do together. It's so elegant. And it's so simple. But it helps people know what to say. Yes. Otherwise, they're kind of saying everything. It's not systematic. But when you when you break it down like this, here's the situation, here's the context, here's your, here's your relationships, and here's anything else that needs to be in the situation, then they yeah. know what to, they can just point and say, well, this is missing. Exactly. And that's how we all naturally think, of course, but all the abstractions like strategy, you, what's a strategy? I cannot draw a strategy or we have a vision or statements like we want to win and be the best and all that blah, 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 blah. Then you, instead you're like, okay, here's the context and what is, who do you want to be in the context? Instead of win or lose, which are abstractions, you're like, what is the relationship you want to be in? Yes. Is it Yes. This is the power relationship you want to be in where you're dominating this particular situation. Yes. 
That's so. brilliant. It's brilliant. Has has it evolved? I mean, it must have evolved enormously over these 30 years. Well, the evolvement is what you see that I can explain it in two minutes right now. Uh -huh. Now I'm aware of what I did. Back in the day, I was just following and drawing and thinking. It became spontaneously in response to the impulses. Hmm. So I'm, because I was also trying to understand. And this is the way I understand. And now I grew awareness about exactly what I did. And I, I read research about how the brain works. I said, oh, this is what's happening. I'm just making an inner universe and I reflect it back out because I have to ask, is that English to schematize, to make schemes out of it? Mm -hmm. How would mm -hmm. you say that? I think you say schematization or schematics. Okay. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, make, I have to make schematics in my brain and basically that's what I put out again. And then things become like more like mapped out. And but I what what I just showed is basically going back to very archetype. It's that it's always about people and more specifically about mostly me being imagined in that situation or the client feeling himself in the re reality of his situation or his desired thing. It's way easier to talk about. That's very interesting too, isn't it? Because so often when you talk to a client, you're both talking about the thing out there. Yeah, you don't start with the the feeling, sensing self of the client. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's also a very powerful aspect of it because when, because I bring it back to human proportions, mm -hmm. then what they think and feel or might say becomes part of the drawing because you can add balloons or thinking balloons and all that. So this is what it feels like, and so, and I use that a lot in graphic recording as well. That I basically create situation and I have them speak stuff, but also I think they might think something else with this, which they don't say. So I can also basically visualize the things that are not spoken. Oh, that's interesting too. And then do they have a chance to be like, where did you get that? I wasn't thinking that. Well, uh, or is um, it clear to you what they're thinking? Well, there's a recording. I make it a bit less personal. I just take, I draw mostly some, random that because in this graphic recording you're recording a, a seminar or a group gathering so then you just have some random people saying and talking and saying things and uh, but i've seen meetings that half of the people left early so i make a drawing about half of the people leaving early uh -huh. and nobody speaks that because yeah, that can happen between and all those great yeah. areas i love yeah. to kind of point those two So is it, you know, one of the questions that I love to ask people is like, what is hot for you or what, what are you, what are you struggling with or learning right now in, in your practice? You're so far along in this practice. I wonder how you would even approach that question. Well, I, I, I think it's easy for me to speak what's alive for me. I mm -hmm. don't do a lot of graphic facilitation at this point because I'm not looking for work. I only accept work when it feels like meaningful. So I have a few clients that come to me, Harry, could you help us? And uh, then I just help them and I don't even negotiate money if they, they either want to pay me or not. But I, because I have my pension now, I can just do what wants, needs to be done. Right. Different. Yeah, very uh, and next to that, I've recently discovered I, that I'm uh, probably highly gifted. 
which looking back kind of explains why I could do this and other people can't. Mm. For me, it was evidence. Okay, I see it and nobody seems to see it. And I made a drawing out of it in order to basically register it for myself. And then everybody's like, oh, wow. Oh, now I see it. I know it, kind of knew it, but this is more clear. Hmm. That became my work for the for a few decades. This is more clear. Yeah. And so what's so now now you can do what you want to take the gigs that you want to. What's happening in the in between space? What what are the problems? Or like right when we started, you you said I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in finding out what this is. What what are we doing here with this? And I don't know yet. Is that is that still kind of like what's yeah, getting I'll, you out I'll, of bed in the morning? Yes. Or? No. Yeah. Yeah. What keeps me awake at night every now and then, or I dream <laughs> okay. about it, or think about it in the day, yeah. is are the existential problems that are facing the planet right now. Because mm -hmm. if I understand it properly, we're 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 yeah we are about to kind of the the systems as we know it, the extraction systems are about to collapse. So in energy uh, due to the both the war and, and, and the climate change, the energy pricings are going crazy and people can't keep up. And then from that perspective, the future looks grim. Where my mind goes is, okay, what needs to happen? And how do we do this? And uh, what I've been, and how do we basically create a society that needs to be? And uh, then currently what I'm trying to, teach myself by experimenting is if I if we need to survive I have to not to survive with society as a whole and expect there's some big plan because that that's is not working I mean you see many people inventing new things as a global idea and then try to push that out into mm -hmm. the world but I think I have to start with my neighbors mm. and so I've been basically uh, wanting uh, to from the neighborhood where I live to become a community. Mm -hmm. And you have a leadership position in that community. Well, leadership is a big word. Uh, now I had the desire, I had this desire and well, I'm, I, th I feel more like a visionary. And let's just, the current idea I have myself is if I'm highly gifted, I have to be serious about that. I do see it and they don't see it yet. So how do I make the translation that both honor people's free choice, mm -hmm. but makes them engage in what needs to happen? Because when I talk about, okay, people should basically, why do everybody need two cars mm -hmm. when we can share cars? Then people are offended because mm -hmm. I kind of judge their, their behavior. Lifestyle, yeah. Lifestyle is a better mm -hmm. word. So I'm very very slowly try to uh, to find connections there and what the first thing and I'm, it's basically a projection of the thing my own learning path is we need to connect with more people mm -hmm. how may do i make connections i'm not a natural in that field like demi is she can basically connect through people like from 100 yards they can say hi and the other like opens their heart and they shine <laughs> so just to clarify for our listeners, Tammy is your partner, yes. my best friend, and yes. that's how we know each other. Yes. And Tam has this gift, this yes, incredible yes, gift can. for being able to uh, encounter almost. Oh, I mean, I would I would venture anyone, yes. and have and connect with them. 
So I admire her for that, but I yeah. don't have that natural gift. But I have this, so I'm just learning in the neighborhoods. Uh, I'm, by happenstance, I became the chairman of the neighborhood committee and I'm trying to bring that alive and basically teaching myself to connect with all those people and invite them to connect to each other. But that's like, but that's has nothing to do with graphic facilitation. It's some kind of social engineering or more gardening. I would say it's just a gift. Mm. You don't see the skill set kind of transferring, or or you're not using it at all. Not yet, but I'm planning after the holiday come back. If I if there's people are interested and they're open to see more than they are looking at right now, I'm totally using all my skills, of course. But at this point, um, graphic facilitation is not top of mind. So well, how, I, how are you communicating with them right now? Kind of one at the one-on-one -on -one level? Yes. Hmm. Yes. I go and visit and talk to them and listen. But that's what Tammy taught me to listening. I just listen to the people. Yeah. But, you may, but maybe this graphic facilitation, as your schematics around the neighborhood develop, then maybe these kind of skills become yeah well, well at, home, at home i have a map of the neighborhood and i have all the notes there of all the people because if i can't see it spatially it just doesn't fit mm -hmm. yeah right that's your way of working yes one way or another yeah. yeah this is very 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 helpful and very interesting if you go back kind of into the heart of when you were doing the most of your work mm -hmm. um because i think that's probably who's listening or people kind of like Yes. either emerging into their careers or kind of uh, in the heart mm -hmm. of it. What were the limits of, did you ever encounter the limits of that graphic facilitation style that you were developing? Were there things that, would, would it ever break down? Were there cases where it well, would break down? I have had uh, assignments where I basically made stuff visible the client did not want to see. Aha, interesting, yeah. So I, there are, and then mm. one I make, an org chart of uh, one of the of Amsterdam, and then you saw that something didn't fit. There was people were having double lines, which can't exist in our charts. And I made it visible, and then they said, "Okay, this is not a, what we want to see. Could you wrap up and send the bill?" Right. That's interesting. So when people are just talking, actually, they can. There's a lot that, a lot that can be hidden. Yes. Oh, yes. You, you, yeah. But when you start drawing it out, finally, you're going to see it for what it is. I wonder, um, what was that like? For, I mean, like that, how did you um, work with that? Uh, well, what it learned me. I want to call it a failure, but it doesn't seem like, it seems well, like actually would, quite a success. <laughs> what I needed to do always in my work, because I, I was kind of got familiar with the fact that I saw more. Mm-hmm. Also more opportunities than my client would see. I had, I had to put my ego aside. Uh -huh. uh, so in this case, they don't want to see, so it just ends. This is very simple, and I don't put any other energy in. But also, I had clients that I thought, oh, they should basically do that, and they were discussing and and going, yeah, having big egos. And then I started drip feeding my ideas until they said, hey, I got this idea. And then they basically, they, they, and then they, I basically gave them my ideas and made them think they, they invented it. That they, I think this happens to a lot of facilitators. I think a lot of people attracted to the work 
uh, see more or tend to see patterns or have yes. a certain kind of listening ability you know i yes. think there are various entry points but into this thing where you have an insight about yes. the group or someone else and then the question is very it's very interesting how you answered it what do you do with that insight yeah so that you protect the ego um of the client yeah, you're, serving, you're basically serving a higher purpose i think that sounds hmm. grand but uh, you're, serving, <laughs> you're serving truth and clarity. You're basically a truth teller. If you want, if you if you uh, approach work like that, I mean, which I did. Some people are just in for the money. They do have a bag of tricks and a toolbox, and they make okay. That's, and then it's a job. Yeah. But that that's you, not. You you called it drip feeding. Um, what I understood from that was like you you kind of hint at what you're yes. seeing until that person has the yeah. idea for themselves. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. And then as they own that idea, and as you start to visualize and that idea, um, did you ever find yourself in, like, did that ever come to, to a kind of conflict or was it always this more subtle mechanism? What kind of conflict you mean? Like where that person takes that insight and goes yeah, in some other yeah way. well it's uh, uh i'm basically an anti-commercial person i think you should not use um uh, we should not use equality to extract value from each other and the whole economy is based on that so there's of course is a conflict that you can give somebody an idea and it makes this company better and then they extract they use it to make more money and yes. even more so yes. that's the course but that's a very fundamental conflict that has little to do with the little job the role i'm playing in that particular circumstance i cannot change that well i wish i could i'm open to ideas it's something else i've heard come up many times i've thought about it myself too is like which clients am i working for as as in what are you empowering yes exactly thank you and uh, basically there's also how i lost interest in i had a great job in uh, in a uh, business school international business school that had a lot of big international clients and i was a regular facilitator there and i lost my own uh, uh, motivation uh, when i heard uh, you call the ceos at the coffee table and i just happened to get coffee and i just happened to overhear it i was not eavesdropping i just by happenstance and they were saying to us all oh, this all great this uh, seminar we're having and everybody's so excited but i know in three weeks when i have to go to the boards they'll just ask me how will this translate to more profit and then i basically i was it was such a great day and i immediately felt like yeah like a chill fell over me and i lost all my motivation to i lost the joy of it mm. but basically you want to make things better but yeah more, but more more profit is not better it's more profit it's not the same yeah I, there's something you said uh early which was that you started to study uh visual thinking i bet that over the you know when you when you when you first got into this you started to study the principles of visual thinking i wonder what kind of innovations you either encountered or that you created if 
I don't yeah. know if that is a fair question, but I'm very curious. I don't know. Uh, I did not invent anything. I, I discovered stuff. Like mm. I worked a certain way. And then later, looking back, I saw I used certain patterns and certain analysis that I now can work and then couldn't. And one of them is indeed what I just told you that the mm -hmm. brain works like if you look somewhere, you look somewhere, we humans first we single out the other humans, oh people there. And the next thing you could see is other creatures like dogs or animals. That's how our brain functions, not by choice, that's biology biology. And then later you could see plants, and then there's a hierarchy, and the last thing is that you is stuff. And in a business context, you basically have humans and stuff. Hardly anybody brings their dog, their dogs. So, but then, then it's very simple. So the the the, the thing I, I just drew is just basically people in a constellation. And there might be stuff involved, like the product they make or the machines they use or the materials. But it's a very simple world. Yeah, it's it's brilliantly simple, actually. And I learned this by reading about how the brain works. And you see hmm. how the brain works. And you might, must have seen this very famous uh, picture of uh, how uh, a person is the, the mapped on the brain with the, a lot of place uh, attention for the face and for the hands and very little for the body, because that's how we perceive people. The face and the eyes, that's important, right? So it, it's all mapped in the brain and how we map, we see stuff, it's all mapped in the brain. And for me, it was also huge eye-opener that we think with the neocortex, but just basically reasoning after the fact, so trying to understand. But we see with the visual part, it's a different part of the brain. This is instant because back in the day when we were still hunting and then we had to see everything immediately. There's, that's fast. It different from here. So once you see it, you don't need to explain. You can, of course, explain now, but who needs it? But you yeah, don't need the... it. So now looking back, I understand what I did. And, it was and... the study, it was as you, so what you were, you were uncovering this kind of brain function yes. that is primary or pr the predecessor of explanations and abstractions. Yes. Because, I, of course, for myself as well, I had to explain what I was doing because it didn't exist. And why yes. does it work? I kind of had to defend myself. Mm. And now I start, and now I, I know enough about why it works and how it works that I can just state it and point to real research if I want to. But when I was doing it in the 90s, then uh, in academia, you could not use visuals because it basically, you know, you had to write it out. If it was, it had, if it had pictures, it was probably child children's book, Childish. right? Right. Yeah. You know, my my uh, my dad actually did his dental exams by drawing them, and it was Perfect. it was a similar situation, similar situation. Where, of course, he's an artist now, but uh, this is you know where he that was how he thinks. That's how he's seeing it. But he mm -hmm. had to make this case that this was serious sufficiently serious yes yes and i think like five or ten years back a canadian uh made a phd in the shape of a comic yes i forgot the time yes. Unfl but, unflattening yes i saw you it was you who told me about that yes book. yes i show you the book yes thank you yeah 
Yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. And, yeah. you know, I don't have any bent probably towards graphic facilitation per se, but this way of thinking, I actually, I realized as I was leafing through these books that my facilitation is also visual. Yes. But, but, it's instinctual and visual. Yes. Thank you. you. Know, uh, so even though I'm not drawing, but no. I'm seeing how the bodies are moving. I'm seeing how the, even on Zoom, that's how I'm working, you know. You yeah. see these but relative that's also why, spaces why, change between people. Yeah. So looking back, I also started to understand that. Well, uh, I also have been very early experiencing constellations as a thing. But it's the same thing. It's spatial and visual thinking. And it's more natural to us than uh, the abstract reasoning and the calculations and all of that. And the and linear that, thing. Do you see a like a direct connection between that visual thinking and the sort of psycho-emotional world of the group? Like, um, is it more accessible to, to the, to, I mean, this is what you're, this is actually the, one of the big points that I hear you making is that people get it. Yes. And they see it, they get it. Oh, yes. Is that an, is that intellectual or is that also like part of the? Well, visuals enter somewhere else in the brain as i just yeah. said yeah and because and it's a different process in the brain it's way more natural because you walk into the room you see the room around you and when you have a depiction you see the, the picture and what it means if it's logically if it's a good picture you can see the meaning instead of understanding or deriving the meaning through reasoning it's a different process mm -hmm. That's why it's so extremely powerful. I'm still stunned about how powerful it is. You know, facilitators are always, always using flip charts, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's the thing, it's the, the marker and the flip chart. That's what we have, yes. right? And well, I, I, I prefer whiteboards, by the way, because then you can have a, a conversation. Is it like this? No, it's not like this. Oh, then you just immediately change it and, they said, and it's like this. And, and that's a powerful, the powerful thing about graphic facilitation as a visual conversation, that you, everybody literally looks at the same plane, let's say a whiteboard, and then you start drawing out and, and some people say, no, it's like this. Oh, uh, that's also part of it. Oh, we, may, we should think about this and maybe then this. So everybody starts thinking with the noses in the same direction, with the same reference frame, and from the same vantage point, you create one visual and you work on it until everybody in the room says, that's the way I see it. And then just by, by default, everybody has the same understanding and the same depiction of what they want to see. It's super powerful. It's very powerful. I guess the visual plane in general is a consensual construction we're it all is. like yeah i'm in the same room with you you know i see yes. your body i see that body we're agreeing that we're seeing the same thing to to an extent of course there's a limit to that but uh we don't necessarily agree on the abstractions at no. all why would we we haven't any reason to exactly but that's why depicting a real life situation whether desired or real or in the past it doesn't really matter this is how we this is our topic this is how we see it and then you make the you work on the 
visual, the visual representation until everybody in the room agrees. This is how I see it. And so misunderstanding surface, uh, and then what happens a lot is people say, oh, I have to think about this a little more because this doesn't make sense in many conversations. And instead of the discussions where one wins and other loses, but hey, what does it look like? What does it really, what's, what's missing? So people start collaborating way more naturally. Brilliant. If someone's kind of interested in bringing elements of this into their work, yeah, I really like, I really hear what you're saying. It's like, show them what you see, show them what your, what your analysis is and then check it against their experience. But people who are listening to your, pod, your podcast can immediately try it. Yes. You take any problem from yourself, start with a small one. Okay, this is me. And this is me today, aware, aware. Let's see, I want to visualize myself next year, which of course never will happen the way you visualize it. But okay, then you put yourself in 2023 in this case, and you draw yourself, and then you take a big circle. That's my situation. What will this part of my life? And then around it, you can have some context, context like outside world influence that are not part of your situation. And then you put everything the way you want it. Hmm. And then you experience directly, oh, I have to make it specific. I can't just say I'm feeling great next year. What does it look like? And what makes it, what enables me to feel great? Is it the, that I have been working out and where is, how do I do that? Where's my training gear and, okay. and everything. You have to be concrete and specific. It forces you to do that. I love it. You can't talk your way out of reality. Do you do a lot of, have you done a lot of conflict work using this? Uh, no. I feel like that would be an incredible application. Oh, yes. I need someone to practice on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, then you have to create a conflict first. i know <laughs> exactly that should be no problem <laughs> yeah but i would i i'm very very interested i think i will try this after we finish our conversation is just with my own situation but uh even with my you know i'm staying with my parents and i wonder if we could find something the family's deciding about or something like that yeah um it, or well, might even be uh, interested to help two conflictual parties to draw the situation from their different perspectives. Well, that, then yes, then you make the conflict visible. What's way more interesting is how do I want to see it? And drawing it together, yeah. as I just said, is basically then you have the conversation. What does it look like? And, the, and then how you see it differently immediately emerges. And then you can have a conversation. What is really true? Yeah, yeah. So it's not about opinions, about you You try to visualize a situation, a concrete, real situation, a date, a time, a place, and the people in it. Mm -hmm. And then the, the assumptions become, and the abstractions become obvious, and they're easier to make a little distance from that. Yeah, an abstraction is just an abstraction. So you can have the opinion that's okay, uh, you're mm -hmm. doing something wrong, but then you talk about what's wrong and right, and yeah. Then How do again, we move towards another alternative? Yeah, and then in in a, in a situation of conflict, I would lean to basically what to visualize. What does the outcome look like? Yeah, 
Where do you want to end? Yeah. But the where did it come from? How did it develop? And where do you want it? And then that's the real collaborative one. That's the one. And everybody that, loves to think about that one. And then, of course, every participant from their own perspective feels what needs to happen from that perspective. It's brilliant. Oh, I love it. Harry, I knew this would be a great podcast. <laughs> this is just <laughs> so helpful. Like. I think people are going to find it very, very interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, uh, indeed, like you talk about people having a vision. Basically, what you can do is create your vision, you draw it out, and then you have an internal conversation or an external with other involved. What does it look like? Yeah. Interesting thing is that I stopped doing that basically. Also, I'm now noticing myself. Huh? What, yes. Why? Because it became so internalized, or you? Just... No, 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 not at all. It it's basically because I'm learning. I well, that's a bit of a sad story, but I've been living for. Uh, since 2000 until 2018, I was in a relationship was the first with what I could tend to call the love of my life. And she had cancer. And cancer basically takes over all your free will because you're basically serving what, where the illness is going. So I had to let go and I learned. And I was always, because I'm a designer, I'm, so, I'm great at visualizing my design future. I, I had an office in my mind that I wanted and I basically could walk down the stairs of my office and totally felt the space around me and I knew I was going to build that one someday and then I had to let go of all those desires and then I made a more achievable dream and that failed basically reality kept failing me because we were basically going spiraling down in a more and more dark scenario and then when I came out, I was totally uh, depressed. Yeah. And uh, it was around 2000 and I started, I came, went back to the Netherlands. And then I basically gave up on everything. Also working, also creating images. And mm -hmm. then that was the, in the in, that's when I uh, also got the, developed a connection with Tammy. Mm -hmm. And then I basically, changed my approach in life from trying to see it and control it and define it into letting go and allowing things to unfold and receive whatever came, comes out of it. So my whole approach of life has changed. So I don't need to define the future anymore. Oh, wow. You're not actually trying to solve a problem in that sense. Well, what I'm still, what I'm still doing with the, with the, the work in the neighborhood that I'm kind of going back to that and I have to stop myself from trying to know what should happen yeah I have to uh, I'm basically now trying to teach myself to and to learn to serve what needs to be this is very interesting uh based on how you've described your gift until now yes which is to be able to see the whole and grasp it quickly Yes. Now you're almost like fighting that or working in a different stream? No, I'm not fighting it because I still see a lot. But I'm, the thing is, if uh, basically when, for example, I had this vision of my uh, workspace, that's basically I translate my desire to a desired future and a vision. And I say, and then I pin, made, this, made this point on the horizon. That's exactly where I'm going. And life doesn't happen that way. 
it's not what I want that happens. No, uh, there's so much. It's so multidimensional, and life so much more complex and complicated and richer than I can even imagine or make happen. That is not about that. So I'm kind of basically still learning that life is not like that. And when and now I use uh, an idea that's given me. It's an American guy who said that, and many more teachers say that universe is one big sport. There's just one unity, that's the universe. And you and I are part of the same unity. And this unity is one big alive system that evolves and expresses itself. So I can say I'm the ruler of my world, but basically I, my life is way fuller and richer if I just go with the flow of what wants to be. Amazing. Um, what that is, what an incredible evolution, actually. Yes, yes. Are so you happier? I'm way happier. And also, being happy is less relevant. It's being, being, <laughs> it's the question is more being, am I relevant? Hmm. To whatever is emerging now. Yes. Because uh, my greatest fear, and it might happen, is that the, the society is indeed about to fall apart. Yeah. And then what I'm currently trying to serve is um, have my neighborhood be the people know each other so they do not immediately see each other as enemies or competition in the fight for this, the spare resources that might be there. Because stuff like that, if people are united they'll they will be way more resilient and happy and then when they're all struggling on their own we are living in a society that forces people to compete yes and, and then, then that's the habit that we have yeah and they say that's a good thing we are very competitive isn't that great and we are basically instead collaboration is way easier way more joyful way more effective but no 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 don't go there because then you're not dependent and then you kind of and all that blah blah yeah so oh, i love it this is just really inspiring harry thank you so much <laughs> i can't wait to hear what people think um yeah is there anything else you think that that the listeners should know before we say goodbye mm. no it's i'm very such a because um i feel like i'm i'm 69 now but i feel i'm in a very new place and still learning yeah yes it feels like you're really taking on a whole other path and, and yes yes and not just externally it's not like you, you're doing something new it's like how can i be a different way yeah how how can i be point <laughs> yeah. right yeah. yeah no it, i mean it doesn't actually leave me i i feel like the picture is quite complete um Thank you. It's it's really brilliant, and I I would love to interview you again. You know, in a year or two, as you've been working in the neighborhood, I'm very curious how how that's going to. Yeah, me too. Me transpire. too. I'm yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Harry. You're so welcome. Thank you for your uh, interest. Mm -hmm.